Hey, we're in part five of our series, Bold. So on the count of three, can I get everyone watching from wherever you are to say bold on the count of three? Ready? One, two, three. Bold. That's right. We're in our series, Bold, and we're coming right to the end of it today. And we're saying we want to be bold. We don't want to look dumb. We want to be bold and say the right thing, do the right thing, be the right person, regardless of our circumstances. But we don't want to look dumb, meaning we don't want to look arrogant or self-centered or self-important or just bold for the sake of being bold. So what we've been saying is that if we want to be bold, we've got to build it on the right foundation. And the right foundation for bold living is simply the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The way we've said it through this entire series is this, that the resurrection is the only lasting foundation for bold living. So we don't build our boldness on our own ability, our own intelligence, our own experiences, our own, our own family background. We build our boldness off of Jesus, off of the life-altering, life-changing, history-changing, world-shaking resurrection of Jesus Christ that changed the world and has been changing lives ever since. That Jesus died from, for, on the cross for our sins and he rose from the dead bringing new life for all. And so that's where we've been, and we've been looking to the example of the early church to find out what bold living looks like as we follow Jesus. And so last week, we left off by talking about what happened when the message of the, of the cross and the message of Jesus and the message, message of the resurrection went to the very first Gentile Christians. And as we talked about that story, I mentioned that there was a, a man named Saul who had begun the persecution of the early church that spread the church out. And so just in case you're not familiar with the story of Paul, because Saul is going to play, Saul slash Paul is going to play an important part in the story that we're going to read today. If you're not familiar with his story, Saul was the man who was so incredibly mad about Jesus and this early church movement that he began to persecute and even kill early Christians. As a religious leader, as a Pharisee, he believed this new Jesus movement, this new faith in Jesus was dangerous and that anyone who followed Jesus was dangerous. And so as a religious leader Pharisee, he went to the temple leaders and he got written permission to track down, arrest, beat, torture, and even kill Christians, if that's what it took to stomp out the Jesus movement. Paul was incredibly passionate and incredibly committed to stomping out Christians and putting an end to the Jesus movement. Now, a funny thing happened along the way. Um, on the way to killing Christians and arresting Christians and stomping out Christians, Saul became one. Saul became one. Jesus literally knocked him off of his donkey, blinded him, and through that experience, he came to a saving faith in Jesus, and his entire life changed. And he went from being a guy who spent his entire life's work and it was passionately working to destroy the church to being a man who spent the rest of his life passionately committed to building the church and spreading the gospel and spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. And it leads me to just one conclusion, and I want to share that with you today, is simply this. Bold faith puts your whole life in the hands of God and says, use me. Bold faith puts your whole life in the hands of God and says, use me. Use my creativity, use my talent, use my abilities, use my intelligence, use my intellect, use my passion, use everything that I have. God, everything I've gotten, all my experiences, here they are. I place them in my hands and I know that you can use them better than I can use them. What Saul did is he took his passion and he said, man, 
God, I'm, I'm a passionate guy. Whatever I do, I'm all in. So I'm just going to put it in your hands and I'm going to be all in to spread the gospel. I'm going to take my, my intensity and my intellect and I'm going to use that to spread the gospel. And we have over half of the New Testament that we have is a result of Saul's slash Paul's intellect that developed the message of Jesus and the theology around the message of Jesus. And in, Saul even took his story as a man who had once been a persecutor of Christians, and someone bent on destroying the church. And he said, I'll even use that story. And if it helps someone know that they can come to God regardless of where they've been, they can hear my story. You can put your whole life, your past experiences, your today's experiences, your today's intellect, your creativity, you can put it all in the hands of God and know that God has a good, wonderful plan for all of it and that it'll use all of it. So Saul slash Paul becomes a spreader of the gospel and he travels with a number of Christians and he goes around the area outside of Jerusalem, pushes past the Jerusalem suburbs and wherever Saul slash Paul, who he eventually became known as, wherever Saul slash Paul goes, he spreads the gospel and many people became followers of Jesus. Many people put their trust in Jesus. They respond to the message that there's freedom and that there's peace with God and there's forgiveness from their sins. And so some people who were Jewish were putting, you know, in the, in the expanding area, put their faith in Jesus. But many, many, many Gentile believers were putting their trust in Jesus. And you would think, again, that everyone in the world would think that this is an amazing thing, that people are coming to God, people are turning to God, and people are finding peace with God. But a funny thing happened. Some religious people got involved. And this wasn't the old school religious people who were dedicated to the temple. This was Jesus followers who had a religious bent. And so here's what happened, starting in Acts chapter 15, verse 1. It says this, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. So Paul and Barnabas, they come back to Jerusalem for a meeting because they need some clarity. Everywhere they go, they spread the message that forgiveness from your sins is available through faith in Jesus. Forgiveness and peace with God is available through Jesus. You can reconnect with your heavenly father by putting your trust in Jesus. And people are coming to faith like crazy. But then something crazy happens. This group of religious Christians comes around and says, oh my, you know, we're so glad that you have put your trust in Jesus and that you became a Christian. And then they say, but if you want to stay a Christian, we've got some rules for you. If you want to stay a Christian, we've got some stuff that you need to do. And if you want to stay a Christian, you've got to pay attention to some dietary restrictions and some dietary laws that you have never paid attention to in your entire life. You've got to pay attention to some dietary and hygiene restrictions that are incredibly impractical for you. And most importantly, you need to get circumcised. All the men, all the boys need to get circumcised. To put it lightly, this is an incredibly impractical command. But this is a question, and this is a question that Paul and Barnabas and the entire early church and the entire Gentile church needed an answer to. Because this is a question of how do you live out faith? 
How do you live out this newfound faith in Jesus? So they get sent to Jerusalem to meet with the early church leaders, to meet with the people who followed Jesus most closely, to ask how to answer this question and how to resolve this tension. And so in verse 5, and we're told this, then after Paul and Barnabas have told their stories, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Now the religious people get their turn to present their case and they do what religious people do. They get right to the point. They don't have any stories of, of people they've met. They don't have any testimonials of people's lives who were changed by following their way of thinking. They just jump into their thing of this is what has to be done because this is what's always been done. This is what we're familiar with. This is what we're comfortable with. And because this is what we're comfortable with, we need to put this on to other people. And here's what they say needs to happen. And here's what they've been telling people everywhere that Paul went. Hey, again, we're so glad you became a Christian. We're so glad you became a follower of Jesus. If you want to stay a follower of Jesus, you have to follow a whole bunch of rules, follow a whole bunch of laws. You need to follow a whole bunch of rules that we have not been particularly good at following for our entire lives. But now you need to follow them if you want to follow Jesus. And you need a surgery. You need a surgery. Guys, you need a surgery. And let me just say, at the, at, the, at the sake of being a little bit crass or a little bit crude here, this virtually ensured that the entire new believers class in every church would be entirely female. Putting this rule in effect for people, this ensured that the entire new believers class would be, would be women. This, is, this would have husbands driving their wives to church and wives going, are you sure you don't want to come in with me today? And the husband's going, you know, I think I'm going to stay in the car. I'll wait for you afterwards. I'll stay in the car. And I'm just not, you know, I'm just not ready to have that surgery today, if you know what I mean. I'm just not ready to take that step. I like Jesus. I don't want him messing with, you know, with stuff. And so, this is, this is the question. This is what they're saying. This needs to happen in order peop for people to stay followers of Jesus. They're saying faith in Jesus is not enough. You need to follow the rules and you need to have a surgery. So in verse 6, it says this, The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. In other words, before we got everything all together and before they got everything all together, God showed that he approved of them before they got everything together. He says, he did not discriminate between us and and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. And then he said this, Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, Peter said, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Peter gets up and tells his story about crossing a line that religion had made him build between him and people that Jesus loved. And Peter tells how when he crossed that line, he found out that God loved and Jesus loved and Jesus died for them just as he died for the people on Peter's side of the line. And Peter says, if, if Jesus was willing to die for them, why would we put something on them that we have never been all that good at living out ourselves? Peter's summary, guys, Jesus died for our sin and we're pretty sure he died for their sin. Sin has been covered. The fact that none of us have been able to live up to God's law or God's expectations, that's been covered by Jesus. And the only thing that matters is whether or not we trust in that and place our faith 
in that. Peter says, we believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved. And so are they. Not by any law, not by any actions, not by any good intentions. It's simply by grace through faith. And in verse, 20, or in verse 12, we're told this, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders that God had done among the Gentiles through them. Paul and Barnabas tell their stories, what they've seen and heard happening beyond Jerusalem, happening beyond the Jerusalem suburbs, happening beyond people who had heard about God before and heard about the Ten Commandments before and happening among a whole bunch of people who had never heard about God and never heard about the Ten Commandments before, never heard about the Mosaic Law, never heard about any of that. It's simply people putting their trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins to make them right with God. And then in verse, four, verse 12, verse 13, we're told this. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Now, James is one of the best arguments for the resurrection of Jesus because there's still some people out there who will try to convince people that the resurrection of Jesus never happened. And James is one of the best evidences for the fact that a resurrection with Jesus actually happened. See, James was the earthly brother of Jesus. James grew up in a house with Jesus. And while Jesus was walking the earth and doing ministry and performing miracles and teaching multitudes of, of people, James went kind of was, was not a follower of his brother Jesus. Because what would your brother have to do to convince you that he actually was the Son of God? Jesus is going around doing miracles and teaching multitudes of crowds and multiplying food for all kinds of crowds and claiming to be the Son of God. And James is like, I like the miracles, I like the teaching, I like the food thing. But son of God, you know, I grew up with you, dude. And so let me ask you a question. What would your own brother, if you have a brother or a sister, what would your sibling have to do to convince you that they were the son of God? And if your only answer to that is if they predicted their own death and resurrection and actually pulled it off, I might believe that they were the son of God. If that's your answer, you have found yourself where James found himself. James found himself in a position where after seeing his brother die on a cross and raised from the dead, the only possible answer was that everything Jesus claimed about himself was true. And so James, after the resurrection of Jesus, becomes a follower of his brother. James believed that his brother was his savior. This, this is unbelievable. And James, because of his proximity to Jesus during his life, James became a leader within the early church. And so James, the brother of Jesus, stands up and he says, Brothers, you know, listen to me. He says, Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. So he goes back to Old Testament scripture. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things. Things known from long ago. And then he says this, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Let me read that one more time. That we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We should not make it difficult. In other words, we should make it as easy as possible for people who are turning to God through Jesus. See, here's what James understood. What Jesus taught and the message of the Gospels is not an easy thing to embrace or accept in and of itself. 
See, what Jesus taught was sacrificial love and selfless living that didn't point people to how good you are. It pointed people to how good God was. What Jesus lived in the message of the death and resurrection of Jesus was that someone had to die for your sins, that your sin was so bad and so appalling to God that someone had to die because of you. Which means accepting the message of Jesus means admitting that we are all sinners and that we've all done so much wrong that someone had to die for us. James understood that that was a tough pill to swallow in and of itself. James knew that a life built on sacrificial love was a tough pill to swallow. James knew that a, a life of love for other people, regardless of how it affected you, was a difficult sell for anyone. And James knew that it was a difficult thing to convince people that they were so bad that someone needed to die for them. And so James looked at, looked at everyone and said, look, guys, this is a tough pill for everyone to swallow. This is a difficult thing to believe. This is a different, difficult lifestyle to embrace. Why would we make it any more difficult by piling on the Gentiles rules and hygiene things and a surgery that none of them have ever thought about in their lives? And there have always been crazy things that people tried to add to the message of Jesus. I mean, I remember my, my mom grow, growing up, my mom told me that when she was growing up, her family was part of a church that said it was, it was a sin to play with playing cards. Can you imagine that? You go to play a game, a game of go fish with your family and all of a sudden you're going to hell. So you can't be a good Christian and play with playing cards. I grew up thinking that swear words were to be avoided at all costs. So I remember one time when I was in like fifth or sixth grade, I was reading something in class about the Hoover Dam. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I said Hoover Dam out loud. And so I remember thinking that I needed to repent of my sin because if I died that very moment after saying that word, that God just might send me to hell because I was so convinced that, that these words were, were to be avoided at all costs because words matter. I mean, I, I also, I, I, I attended... Um, I attended a Bible college where R-rated movies were outlawed. You, can, you could not be a good Christian and watch R-rated movies, which was fine and dandy until the Passion of the Christ came out while I was in Bible college. And all of a sudden, RAs are, you know, resident assistants are, are confiscating the Passion of the Christ because nothing good could come from watching an R-rated movie, even if it was the Passion of the Christ. For, for the entirety of religious history, people have been adding things on to Jesus. And what James did was James said, let's not add anything on to Jesus because if we go beyond Jesus, we've gone too far. Here's what James understood. The more we add to Jesus, the less people see of Jesus. The more that we add to Jesus and what Jesus said and what Jesus taught, the more that we add to grace that comes through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus, the more we add to that, the less people actually see of Jesus. And the less people see of Jesus, the harder, for it is, the harder it is for people to experience the life change that Jesus actually has. And so James went on in verse 20 and he said this, Instead, Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. And if we go, hold on, wait, did they redefine sin? Kind of seems like it. Didn't they just reduce the list of disqualifying sins to virtually zero? 
Absolutely. They reduced the list to three things, two of which don't actually matter at all today. See, here's what they did. They lowered the bar of what you have to do to get in or stay in because everyone in the room knew that Jesus raised the bar of what you get to do once you're in. Let me say that one more time. They lowered the bar of what you have to do to get in or to stay in because everyone in the room knew that Jesus raised the bar of what was possible and what you get to do once you're in. They knew that Jesus had raised the bar of what we were supposed to do and what we were called to do, to love other people, to sacrifice of ourselves, to live a a humble life. Jesus had raised the bar. And so they said, look, we're going to lower the bar so that everyone can experience the life-changing message and grace that comes through faith in Jesus. So in verse 22, they said this, Then the apostles and elders with the whole church, meaning even the Pharisees in the room, agreed to this. Even the people who said, you need to be circumcised, they all agreed to this. With the whole church, decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. With them, they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Saul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you. In other words, we're not going to add anything on. Not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. They say, you will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. That's the end of the letter. That's the whole letter. That's the whole instruction. That's everything that they required of of Gentile believers. Hey, don't eat food sacrificed to idols because that's going to cause division. Don't drink blood. And unless you're pretending to be a vampire and you were really inspired by the Twilight series, you don't have to worry about that today. And then they say, and avoid sexual immorality. You would do well to avoid these things. And then we're told this in verse 30. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. And to add to the Chris Weiss translation, the people read it and were glad for its encouraging message, especially the men. Especially the men who no longer had to have a surgery. Especially the men who no longer had to sit out in the car. Especially the men who no longer had to worry about, can I have bacon on my cheeseburger later? All the men and all the women were glad that they no longer had to worry about what do we have to add to Jesus when we believe that Jesus was enough. See, the church set a bold precedent from the very beginning. From the very beginning of when they found out that Gentiles and people all over the world could actually believe in Jesus, they set a bold precedent to make it as easy as possible for people to join in what God was doing and when God, what God had done through Jesus. And if I could talk for a little bit about what I think this looks like for us today, I would say this. I want to talk about three things that I think the church, when the church has gotten this right, And when the church has been bold from the very beginning to this very day, three things have been true of the church. See, rules are at a minimum, people matter the most, and real world faith matters more than religious show. 
if I can talk about those three things just for a little bit. First of all, rules are at a minimum. When the church is done right, rules are at a minimum. So what I believe is simply this, that rules help people as much as the rules actually help people. Rules help people as much as rules actually help people. See, one of the things that people tend to notice about our church when they're around our church for a while is that we don't really have a whole lot of rules in place at our church. There's like one rule that if you're going to breathe the same air as a kid, you have to have a background check or be their parent. That's about the only rule that we have as, as a church. We think that rules help people as long as rules actually help people. And see, I, I know there's so many churches out there that have rules about drinking, and I, I grew up in one of them, and I know there's a number of them all over the place where you can't be a member in good standing if you drink alcohol. And at our church, you know, there's churches where, you know, that might be the right move and everything like that. But at our church, we don't make that rule because we want people to, we, we want to have no hindrance for people who are putting their trust in God. At the same time, you don't have to have a rule to give someone wise instruction in something that helps them build a better future for them and for their family. So at our church, we're also not the church that says, hey, go out and drink as much as you want. Have a good day. We'll come and see you next week. What we tend to say is things like this. Hey, if your drinking ever causes problems with the people that you love or becomes a hindrance in your influence with someone that God wants to love through you, you need to change your, your opinion and your relationship with alcohol. See, that's a way that it's not a rule. We don't have a rule, but we give instruction. We don't have a rule, but we give wisdom. You, 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 rules are at a minimum, but wisdom is at a premium because at the end of the day, any wisdom should help people in their daily lives because rules are at a minimum and people matter most. See, here's what I know about the rules that we tend to make in church world. Rules are all made in relation to your view of the world, and a view should never get in the way of a who. See, one of the things that hopefully we're all learning in the midst of this time and in the midst of the, the season that we're all in is just how much people matter to us. As I, as I, I mean, I've, I've been a guy who's worked from home for a long time, and I, I pastor the church, and I work from home, and I'm realizing just how much I miss being around people on Sundays and being around our small group on Wednesday nights. I'm realizing just how much I enjoy being around people as, as, as we're all kind of isolated from people right now. And we're all realizing how much people matter to us. But here's what I know, and, and here's what I, I hope that you can understand. People matter to God more than they matter to us. As much as we're understanding that people matter right now, God has always believed that people matter so much that he sent his son to die on a cross and to raise from the dead. Like Jesus died because people matter to God. And so one of the things that I know and, and I think that we need to understand is simply this, and I, I hope we can all kind of come to this understanding, that a you is always more important than a view. See, your view matters, but your view should never get in the way of loving a you, a person that Jesus died for. And the third thing that the early church did that I want to make sure that we understand that we're called to do as, as well is that real worth faith matters more than religious show. That as a church, we should prioritize real world faith and real world action more than we prioritize what happens on a Sunday morning or shows of religiosity that happen throughout our lives. See, one of the things that I said a few weeks back in our In the Wild series was that real faith is not lived out in, on Sunday mornings or in church services. Real faith is lived out in workplaces and in homes and in neighborhoods and in supermarkets and in schools. And so as a church, we've been committed to from the very beginning and we're still just as committed to this day. We want to help you live out your faith in real life, practical ways, not in helping you 
settle obscure arguments over religious things that don't ultimately matter. And so if I could just be really honest, I, 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 I would say this, I could care less if we're a church that nails Sunday morning church. I want us to get really good at living out and following Jesus every day in between. See, there's one hour a week that you'll spend in church and there's 167 other hours in the week where you won't be in your church and that's where your faith will really be tested. And so I I could care less if we're a church that nails Sunday morning, but I want us to be a church full of people who are really good at following Jesus with integrity on Monday afternoon. I want us to be a church full of people who are honoring God with their marriages and where the mutual submission that's modeled by Jesus is practiced and becomes the cornerstone and the building block of our marriages. I want us to be a church full of people who follow Jesus Jesus with their finances on a Saturday afternoon and a Tuesday afternoon and a Thursday afternoon, that we would practice generosity and sacrifice and discipline and wisdom with our finances every single day of our lives and that we'd honor God in those ways. That in all the practical ways of our life, we have ways that we can follow Jesus. And your real world faith will always matter more than a religious show. See, here's what I ultimately want us to understand is simply this, that Jesus is better than religion and Jesus is better than rules and Jesus is better than a religious show. And if you think that Jesus is just another religion, if, 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 if somewhere along the way you've heard that Jesus is just another religion or Jesus was all about the rules or some way, somewhere along the way you experienced a church that was all about the religious show and you haven't truly thought about Jesus in a long time, let me just maybe ask you to reconsider Jesus because Jesus isn't just another religion. Jesus isn't just a bunch of rules. Jesus isn't just about a religious show. And if that's what you think, it means that you have not yet seen Jesus. Someone got in the way, something got in the way. But what Jesus did was something so brand new in the world that it terrified religious leaders and religious establishments, and it still does today. And here's what I, why, why I know that's true. Religion existed for thousands of years before Jesus, and it did little to move people close to God. Rules existed for thousands of years before Jesus, and rules still do very little to move people closer to God. Jesus did something that religious religion can't do, and Jesus did something that rules can't do. Jesus did something that religion can never do, and Jesus did something that rules can never do. Jesus became the bridge between us and our heavenly Father. Jesus moved 100% in our direction so that the second that we moved in his direction, a relationship with our Heavenly Father was available. And so here's how this lands. If you're a Christian already, let's be bold about Jesus. Let's be bold about Jesus and let's push everything else to the side. Let's push all the rules to the side. Let's push all the, all the religious show to the side. Let's push all the, all the views that get in the way of a you to the side. Let's push it all to the side because at the end of the day, there are people in our lives and there are people in our city and people in our world who need to know that Jesus is the main thing. That Jesus, who died for their sins and rose from the dead to offer them a new life, he's the main thing and he's the only thing that matters. So if you're a Christian, that's where this lands for you. And if you're not a Jesus follower yet, maybe it's time for you to look at Jesus once more. Maybe you missed something the first time around. Maybe he's better than you thought he was. Maybe he's better than you were taught he was. Maybe, just maybe, you can do something bold today. And you can take a step towards the Savior who already took every step toward you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you're so good. Thank you that you are as good as we would hope and dream and imagine that you are. 
God, thank you that you sent Jesus and that Jesus died for my sins and he died for our sins. And God, today I pray that as a church and as people online and as people gathering on Facebook and YouTube today, as Jesus followers in our city and in our state and all over the world, God, I pray that we would be bold and that we would be bold enough to keep Jesus the only thing that matters. And God, that we would avoid the temptation and the pull to bring in rules and to bring in a religious show. God, that we would keep the main thing the main thing, that we keep Jesus the only thing. Help us to keep Jesus at the forefront of everything that we do. And God, for those of us who may be tuning in and, and, and starting to take some steps in your direction, God, I pray that we would be bold enough to take the next step, to put our trust in you, to begin to ask questions of you instead of asking questions to other people about you. God, that we would look to your word, we'd look to the example of Jesus, we'd look to your son. And God, I pray today that even as some of us right now are beginning to put our trust in you, I pray that we would experience the forgiveness of sins that only Jesus can offer, that rules could never offer, that religion can never offer, but only your son can offer. And I pray that we would begin to put our trust in the new life that you have for us. So God, help us to be bold, help us to be bold